Thank you, Katie, and thank you to my girls, who I really appreciate uh, being prepared to um, serve us in this way. Probably the last time, actually, that this little triumvirate will be uh, available to do this, as uh, we're away for a couple of weeks, and then Lizzie goes off to uh, Cambridgeshire. So, um, so I'm really thankful to them for for that. Let's read Psalm 30. We've just heard some of it sung to us in a in a metrical form. Let's read Psalm 30 together. Um, psalm 30, it says, a psalm, a song for the dedication of the temple of David. I will exalt you, O Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. O Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. O Lord, you brought me up from the grave. You spared me from going down into the pit. Sing to the Lord, you saints of his. Praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favour lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I shall never be shaken. O Lord, when you favoured me, you made my mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What gain is there in my destruction, in my going down into the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give you thanks forever. So two men were walking through a beautiful summer meadow when suddenly, out of nowhere, they were charged by a bull. And as the bull gained on them, one man turned to the other and said, you went to Sunday school? Quick, pray something. And the other man looked back at him and said, but I only remember one prayer. And the first one said, well, pray it, pray it. So the second man said, Lord, For what we are about to receive, may the Lord make us truly thankful. This is a psalm of thanksgiving that we have before us this morning. Uh, We're told that the psalm was for the dedication of the temple, uh, possibly the royal palace. And it may have been selected later for that purpose after David had written it. It might seem a strange choice, but the temple was the great symbol of the presence of God. And this psalm certainly gives testimony to God's active presence in David's life. So this psalm is structured quite like a sandwich. I don't know what your favourite sandwich is. But in a sandwich you have two slices of bread wrapping round something in the middle. And so here we have two slices of thanksgiving with a confession wrapped round in the middle. So let's have a look at that first section, thanksgiving. 
in verse 1, we have exuberant thanksgiving and praise. I will exalt you for you lifted me out of the depths, did not let my enemies gloat over me. You lifted me out. It's a verb. Uh, the Hebrew verb is often used to describe drawing water from a well. It was like he was in a deep, dark well. He was helpless. He couldn't scramble up on his own. God had to draw him out. Verse 2, we read, I called to you for help and you healed me. Most commentators agree that maybe David had faced some sort of life-threatening illness. And God had led him through that. Verse 3, O Lord, you brought me up from the grave. You spared me from going down into the pit. He clearly expected to die. The Lord rescued him. Uh, The enemies in verse 1 mentioned they may have uh, taken David's illness as evidence of God's abandoning them. uh, Abandoning him. Or or his disfavour, God's disfavour towards David. And hence the gloating. Uh, that they may have done. It is good to be thankful. It really is. Not just politely thankful to the Lord, but exuberantly thankful to the Lord for all that he has done. Romans 1 tells us actually that thanklessness leads to idolatry. It's when we we take God for granted and all his blessings that we start giving too much attention and praise to things that aren't God. Because we do tend to take so much for granted. When people are ill, we do pray for them. At least I hope we do. We often do here at Kennet Valley. But I have to be honest, we don't often hear praise and thanksgiving when people recover. Or when their situation is eased. I think sometimes we we take that recovery for granted. We might thank the NHS. We hear that, oh, the, the doctors, the hospitals were wonderful. And it's good to do that. But it's good even as we do that to remember that it's all God's provision. Even if it wasn't. Uh, a miraculous healing. It's God's provision in the skills of the doctors, in the knowledge, in the in provision of, of medication in the world around us that is, is able to be recognised and harnessed. It's all from God. The Lord delivered me. I think we need to hear a bit more of that. And more thankfulness, I think, would militate against the... It's the spirit of grumbling that is so often prevalent, and I have to say, often prevalent in my own life. When, uh, and the more we give thanks, the more we avoid developing a hard, cynical shell that uh, is just not alive to the goodness of God in this world. You spared me from going down to the pit, says David. You know, we know life is full of tragedy. It is. But life is also full of life. There's so much to get for us to give thanks for. It is a tragedy when people die. It's a tragedy when people die young. But actually those of us who don't die young, we, that's not ours by right. That's a gift of God that we should praise him for. And many times over in our lifetimes, God spares us. Again and again and again, 
often without us realising it. I don't know if you've ever had that experience driving down the motorway, or perhaps your mind wanders for a bit. You're just about to drift out into the next lane, the last minute, at the corner of your eye, you sense that car coming up from behind. That was a close one. How often do we get delivered from things and we don't even recognise God's protection? David would know uh, this uh, passage in Deuteronomy chapter 30 very well. Verses 15 to 16, God says through his servant Moses to the people, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, and I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules... Then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. This is life to the full that he is promising. Life blessed with God's presence in his realm, his kingdom, the land he has promised. This is good. And David also knew that for even the most faithful follower... Life here and now would end. But actually, David, with the eye of faith, perhaps begins to show us here that he did not believe that the grave was the end for God's people. His experience of healing that he's just had gave him a taste of God's wider, fuller, and more complete deliverance to come. He says, sing to the Lord, you saints of his praise, his holy name. Saints, well, that means all those who follow the Lord, all his people, not just particularly, especially holy ones. Praise his holy name. It is because God is holy that we, his people, are saints. He has set us apart to serve him. That's the root of the word where we get our word saints from. Not because of our intrinsic holiness, but because we serve a holy God. Verse 5, his anger lasts only a moment, but his favour lasts a lifetime. God's anger is real. God's holy name cannot bear sin. It threatens the integrity of who he is. He takes sin, wrongdoing, rebellion against him very, very seriously. You know, we were created to give him glory. That's what he made us for, to reflect his glory here on earth. And if our lives are full of selfishness and greed and bitterness and hatred, then we do not give him that glory. As the Bible tells us, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And therefore we are all by nature object of God's wrath. That's what the Bible tells us. Objects of his anger because of our sin. That might feel awkward to say that, but it's actually not something to apologise for. If God were not angry about sin, he would not be a good God. Just imagine in a marriage situation where one partner is unfaithful to the other. If the other partner were not angry about that... What did that tell you about what the, how much they valued the, the relationship or cared about that person? 
If God were not angry about sin, he would not be a good God. If he didn't care, then the universe just becomes absurd and morally unhinged. And he does care. Sin makes God angry. And this is a good thing. Because otherwise, sin would have the last word. And creation would be ultimately despoiled and God's enemies would win. But this is the glorious truth. Although God is angry with us because of our sin, David could see that through his covenant commitment to his people, through his faithfulness, through his righteousness, God has promised to bring life instead of death. And so he says his favour lasts a lifetime. But then we go on to the middle section of the sandwich verses 6 to 10 and we have a confession here we have a confession of David's complacency when I felt secure I said I'll never be shaken oh Lord when you favoured me you made my mountain stand firm but when you hid your face I was dismayed thanksgiving involves telling a story David's story is not just a matter of I got ill God healed me When I felt secure, says David, the English Standard Version translates it, as for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. And you get more a sense of that complacency there. Before he was ill, he felt healthy, he felt prosperous, and this led him to complacency. Life was good. And so he'd lost his edge of dependence on the Lord. He said he felt secure, like an immovable mountain. But then as he felt ill, it was like the Lord hiding his face. He began to see just how frail life is. And so the illness had a chastening effect on him. It woke him up to his complete and utter dependence on the Lord. And that there's no room for complacency. And as that dawned on him... He cried out in verses 8 to 10. To you, O God, to you, O Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What gain is there in my destruction, in my going down into the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful. O Lord, be my help. Note how real he is before God here. It's almost like he's... He's arguing with God, what point, what what good will my death do you? Look at his boldness in, uh, in uh, the boldness in David's language here. Lord, are you really going to let me die? What good will that do? I can't praise you when I'm dead. So be merciful, Lord. Help me. Rescue me again so I can sing your praises once again. It's good to know we can be that honest with God in prayer. It's good to know that we can just pour out our hearts. But how quickly complacency complacency comes upon us. When things are going well, when life seems smooth, you might think that we'd find it easier to praise the Lord then. But actually, that tends to be the time that we forget all about him. We take it all for granted. Uh, in verse, uh, in Deuteronomy 32, verse 15, uh, there's a verse that says, but Jeshurun, Jeshurun is another word for Israel here. 
Jeshuan grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, stout, and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. You can hear that complacency when we're prosperous, when we're healthy. Beware, because that's when we slip into complacency, into self-reliance. That's when we tend to forget all about God. Someone has written this. Complacency is a blight that saps energy, dulls attitudes, and causes a drain on the brain. The first symbol, sim, symptom is satisfaction with things as they are. <coughs> Excuse me. The first symptom is satisfaction with things as they are. The second is rejection of things as they might be. Good enough becomes today's watchword and tomorrow's standard. Complacency makes people fear the unknown mistrust the untried and abhor the new. Like water, complacent people follow the easiest course downhill. A writer by the name of Ronald Meredith describes one quiet night in the early spring when suddenly he heard the sound of wild geese flying overhead. And as the geese flew across the moon, he noticed the tame mallards on their pond. He says this, the honking out of the night sent little arrows of prompting deep into the mallards' wild yesterdays. Their wings fluttered a feeble response. The urge to fly, to take their place in the sky for which God made them was sounding in their feathered breasts. But they never raised from the water. The matter had been settled long ago. The corn of the barnyard was too tempting. And so it is that the Lord can use illness and financial hardship or many, many other trials too to get us looking to him once more where we'd stop doing that, to get us relying on him once more. It's not that God is punishing David by this illness Uh, That's presumably what his enemies were saying when they were gloating over him. But God does use this illness to shake him out of complacency, like a, a good father trying to wake his son up and bring him up short and to bring him uh, to back into focus. It's only often in hindsight that we can look back and say, well, you know, that experience I went through, well, yes, it was bad at the time, but at least it got me more focused on the Lord. Now, of course, there's no guarantee that any experience will have that effect. I've known people who, whilst they've been experiencing hard times, they, they say, they've said that they felt closer to the Lord as a result. But then, once the crisis has passed, they carry on as before. No lasting change. I've seen people who come for prayer and seeing God... Um, intervene in miraculous ways and they've been full of praise for a few days, a few weeks and then just slip back to the way things were. No lasting change. But the Lord can prune us in this way and if we respond as he prunes us then he can use this to work in our lives. You remember John 15? Of course you do. We spent most of last year in it. But uh, John 15 verse 2 says this. this Jesus saying, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser, the gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every 
bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. That is such an encouraging verse. It's not the unfruitful branches that he prunes. It's the ones that are fruitful but could be so much more fruitful. Those are the ones he prunes. Maybe you remember uh, past times when we were challenged about life or things were tough and, and but we remember that actually in that time we were more zealous we were looking to the more, Lord more but as we become more settled and more comfortable in life we've lost our edge somewhat I should think that's quite a common experience at least especially for people round about my age I should think uh, I remember I, I, we've seen this in our church life I remember before we built this wonderful new church building I remember the hassle we used to have in the old building with um, vandalism and such things all those broken windows that was a a regular occurrence in the first part of my time here it seems we just seem so far from that now but it was you know whenever I walked down to the church whenever I came round the corner my heart would be in my mouth as, as to what I might find But I also remember how that pushed us to pray. We prayed for our building's protection, yes, but we also prayed earnestly and sincerely for the youngsters who were causing the trouble. In this new building, which is a wonderful provision from the Lord, we have had much less trouble. And yet, and even probably because of that, I suspect we don't pray with nearly the same fervor as we used to for the young people of the area. When we become more secure, more landed, sometimes that comes at a cost. What's the answer to that? Should we pull down this building and put up a less secure one? Well, I don't think so, no. But let's be open to being led into situations where we feel less secure where we do feel more vulnerable. And then instead of retreating, let's turn to him in prayer with passion and zeal. You know, it felt a bit like that at the start of lockdown, those first few weeks where there was perhaps a renewed passion and zeal in our prayers. But you know, we so easily and so quickly settle into new patterns. And as we do that, there's a danger that we settle for comfort and complacency in this case in our newly defined limited horizons albeit with constant anxiety that we all know at the moment you know thankfulness is a great antidote or a great help in times of heightened anxiety but let us as we give thanks let us confess our love of comfort and safety and let us be ready for the Lord to prompt us to step out, to reach out, to not settle for shrunken horizons as individuals and as a church. That's a challenge. How can we reach out in particular at the moment when all of our activities that were geared for that have stopped? It's a real challenge. But I don't think we should settle for that. We should be asking the Lord to challenge us, to to guide us, to help us to pray about that. This psalm closes with renewed thanksgiving, renewed praise, 
as we have the second piece of bread of the sandwich in uh, verses 11 to 12. Again, exuberant praise. You turn my wailing into dancing. Come along tonight and dance by all means. We're not allowed to sing or chant, but I think we can dance as long as we don't get too close to each other. Um, You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I'll give you thanks forever. Do you hear the, 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 the exuberance, the joyful praise? Friends, this should be such a characteristic of our gatherings together. I don't know, it may be harder in our homes, but I hope you join in with the singing, with praise in your heart, in your homes. You know, yes, there are times when we're feeling down, when we're feeling sad. There are times when you feel just worn out. And, you know, we shouldn't try and just slap a plastic smile on and pretend everything's okay when we're like that. We can be honest at such times, and that's fine. But our default mode should not be numbness. It should be praise. And if we're feeling numb, then we should go to God's word and fuel our hearts with visions of him and what he's done for us until we feel that fire catch in our hearts and as we respond with our lips often it's a discipline that first prayer of praise is a discipline we don't feel it but we pray it but as we pray it he fans the flames at least this is my experience this is why if we say i don't feel like praising i'd be hypocritical if i did we never get beyond that but if we say I don't feel like praising, but as a sacrifice of praise, I'm going to speak out my praise for what I know he's done. Then he fans into flame our praise. We should remember that in prayer meetings when we're all sitting silently, waiting for someone to lead the way. Lead with your lips and your heart will follow, I'm sure. Our default mode should be praise. David didn't live to hear this psalm sung at the dedication of the temple. Uh, He did start to make preparations for the temple's construction and and his son Solomon finished that. But he said this uh, to Israel's leaders after he'd made those preparations. This is in 1 Chronicles 22. I read this this week. David ordered all the leaders of Israel to help his son Solomon. He said to them, Is not the Lord of God your God with you? He reminded them of God's presence with them. The Lord is with them. And then uh, he reminds them of the Lord's deliverance. Has he not granted you the rest on every side? He's led them into this land. He's delivered them. He brought them out of Egypt. He led them into this land. And he's delivered them from the inhabitants of the land. He's handed them over. But he challenges them. Don't let his presence and his deliverance lead to complacency he says devote your heart and soul to seeking the lord your god he's rescued us he's with us now devote your heart and soul to seeking the lord your god friends that is a word for us right here today but you might be thinking well What of David's complaint in verse 9? Do you remember that? Verse 9, he said, What gain is there in my destruction, in my going down into the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Because David did die eventually, didn't he? He didn't last forever. So 
you know, God didn't answer his prayer, did he not? What happened? What, what do we say about that? Well, you know, David was a man of faith. He knew he had to die one day, but he believed somehow that the Lord would ultimately deliver him from death, even if he wasn't sure how or when that might happen. David believed that in order to do that, God would find a way of dealing with his sin so that his anger might only last for a moment and his favour a lifetime. He knew that if he spent eternity in the grave, he would not know the life, the favour of God, but he believed it would last. David is expressing his faith based on God's word and his commitment to his people. Trusting God in this way, he sings out his praise. The Lord's deliverance, the Lord's presence. You know, in many of these psalms, we see a shadowy pattern of something to come. We see the shape of the life of Jesus, born into King David's line, and then bringing the psalms of his ancestor to fulfillment in amazing ways. Uh, The Apostle Paul makes this point uh, about another psalm, Psalm 16. We see this in a sermon of his in Acts 13. Um, And he says this. uh, Psalm 16 says, You will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. He did die, in other words. He was laid with his fathers. He saw corruption in the grave. His body did decay. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. He's talking now about Jesus. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. David did go down into the grave. But his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, he also went down into the pit. But God lifted him right out of the depths. Through his death and resurrection, he fulfilled this psalm fully. And so that David, as he is united to Christ in his faith in God... This becomes true of him too. It becomes true of him and it becomes true of us as we are united with Jesus. Through his death, through his resurrection, we are lifted up too. In Jesus, even though we die, yet we will be raised up if we're trusting in him. Delivered to live in his presence. That's what we're going to be celebrating later in communion. We've been delivered so that we live in his presence. Communion has both of those elements. It reminds us of his death, his body, his blood. But it also reminds us of his presence because it is communion. We are together with him by his spirit. He said, do this in remembrance of me until I come. While I am not physically here with me, with you, take this as a a reminder of my spiritual presence with you now that's what eternal life is we've been delivered to live in his presence to know him is that true of you if not friend you are still in the pit and if not call out to him today to lift you out if you know it's true of you then give thanks and devote your heart and soul to seeking the Lord your God You know, when things are comfortable, we don't have to pray for trouble. Trouble will find us. But if we are regularly and fervently giving thanks to the Lord, then whether we're strolling gently through the summer meadow or whether we're being pursued by an enraged and angry bull, 
then he will be glorified. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for David's spirit of thanksgiving and praise here. We thank you what we see here of his tussle with complacency. And we recognize that in our lives. So, Father, I pray you will galvanize our hearts. You will wake us up where we have become complacent. You will release our hearts to sing your praise and give thanks to you. And that we might enjoy full life, not only in the future, but here and now in the presence of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen.